You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's wind rows they have the men's wind rows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out All righty, ladies and gentlemen, here we go again. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Man, um, really quick, Vortex Optics is the title sponsor of this podcast. And what I really like about this company, other you know, aside from their kick-ass optics, is they have a warranty where... If your optics are broken, and I what I mean by that is if you back over them with your truck, if your dog eats them, if they burn in a fire, or if someone, you know, like smashes them, whatever it is, you send it in, they fix it for free, no charge. Uh, straight up, no charge. And uh, I've taken advantage of that before uh, they were the title sponsor. I remember a couple years ago, something happened. I think I dropped them out of a tree stand, uh, my binoculars, and the seal cracked and moisture and air was getting into the cylinder, which meant I always had foggy, um, I had a foggy uh, a lens, I guess. And uh, you can't see when that's going on, so I sent it in and they fixed it, right? So awesome customer service awesome warranty, awesome products, right? I'm really jacked to start getting my, uh, uh, start using my spotting scope that I have now. I have the Viper HD and that's going to come in handy when I head to South Dakota for mule deer. I've already been doing a little gravel, uh, scouting at night, looking through these bad boys and, uh, I ordered a phone scope that's going to go on to it. So hopefully I can get some pictures up on social. But, 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 we got some housekeeping to do before we get into today's podcast. Uh, today's podcast is with Kevin Vistason, and we're going to talk about just a variety of different things. This is a good old-fashioned BS session. Uh, on top of the BS session, he's going to talk a little bit about this film that he made called The Forest. That's out for everybody to go take a look at. And, um... I tell you right now, uh, I watched it. It's pretty good. I, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, It takes a little bit 
different of a look to I, I, it's more relatable I'll, I'll say um, it's not your giant big buck you know film but what it is it's it's more relatable to the people who I guess are average Joes right the the hunt camps the you know having to spend time away from your family all these different thing that things that kind of roll in to um, I guess a majority of the hunters out there right so uh, take a listen to this episode it's really cool the last thing that I want to say is this giveaway right um, today is Monday I'm getting ready to leave on Friday for this elk hunt right and when I get back I'm going to be selecting the winner of this giveaway and so here's how you win first and foremost you need to go to the nine finger chronicles facebook page and sign up we've already had like 200 people uh follow the instructions to get entered but i'll just tell you here's what you need to do you need to go to the nine finger chronicles facebook page and you need to share the post that is pinned to the top of that page, right? Then you need to make sure you not only like the Sportsman's Nation Outdoor Network Facebook page, but you need to make sure you're liking the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, Facebook page as well. And uh, by doing those three things, you will be entered into the drawing. And then when I get back from my elk hunt, I'm going to be doing the winner. So... Here's what you're going to win. A bow from Prime Archery. It's a Synergy 33. Uh, a Ripcord ARS to go on that bow. An Ozonix HR230, an awesome introductory product for Ozone. And then Wasp Broadheads of your choice. So right there, only thing you really need is arrows at that point. So if you're looking into getting, you know, if you're looking to get in, getting into archery, this is a perfect giveaway to enter if you know someone who needs you know enter for somebody else or if you just want some new equipment enter man it's uh i'm gonna pick one winner and uh, then i'm gonna drop a giveaway bomb on them and uh yeah so here's what how you do it again i just want to make sure i want everybody to do it right um literally thousands of people listen to this podcast but only 200 people have entered i want more people to enter right so share the post that is pinned to the top of the nine finger chronicles facebook page it's got a picture of ben harshine in the last picture or the last uh, buck that he killed make sure you like the nine finger chronicles facebook page and like the sportsman's nation outdoor network fa- facebook page and then that's how you do it so go do that other than that uh i just wanted to throw that out there again make sure you guys are subscribing to this podcast make sure you guys are following along on social not only on facebook but on instagram as well lots of content coming up uh lots more coming from elk hunt you know my western trips then of course man it's gonna be whitetail season here before we know it i am jacked all the way around i got some last minute things i need to do and i'm gonna be doing that throughout this week um yeah so enjoy this episode with Kevin Vistason. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Kevin Vistason. What's up, man? Just finishing up a hard day's work. Excited to get that, get uh, get on the phone with you and talk a little bit about deer hunting. Yeah, absolutely, man. Kevin, uh, why don't you tell everybody real quick, where do you live and what's your main job? I live in southeast Michigan in, like, the most northern suburbs of Detroit, and uh, 
I am a union plumber here in Detroit for the local 98, and that's how I pay my bills, make my living. Um, that'll be my profession and career. And yeah. then as a hobby, I the rest of my time is the rest of my time gets uh, put into my family and my household, and then basically my only hobby at this point in my life is is deer hunting. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um... You know, when it comes this time of year, I have two things that I really love in life uh, outside of my family, like my hobbies and just things that I find interest in outside of my family. And one of them is obviously bow hunting, right? That takes a lot of my time up uh, throughout, you know, the fall. The other thing, and it kind of contradicts what I just said, is college football. So... I love, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes, but at the same time, I like to follow all, you know, just kind of watch really good college football teams. And uh, and so even as much as I like college football, it all takes a backseat to hunting. Like, I don't go out to the bars with my friends. I'm not in any, like, softball leagues. I don't, like, I do bow hunting, and that's where I spend all the other times throughout the entire year are spent where they need to be spent. So I can go do my bow hunting, uh, in the fall. So no, other yeah, hobbies. I hear you. I, I line up with that and I learned, I kind of learned the hard way, uh, as far as allocating time and what's important and what's not important. I always, I'm very guilty in the past of stretching myself too thin. And uh, a good friend and a mentor to me kind of told me, you'll ne- you're never going to enjoy this hunting thing as much as you can as when you're sitting out there in the woods knowing that you have handled your business. If all your yep. business is handled, yep. you can sit out there and have the time of your life. And years and years went by as a young man of, you know, pulling funds from this place and that place to put gas in the tank to go deer hunting and taking weeks off of work and not get paid for it. And, you know, I'm in my mid thirties now and I've learned some hard lessons and yeah, I, I hear you. The rest of my year is basically allocated towards getting everything handled, getting all my business handled so that when I step foot in the woods, it's as guilt free as it could possibly be for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was on the one of the last podcasts. I was talking to, to my buddy Ben, and he goes, "We're either we're either maintaining the bridges or we're rebuilding the bird bridges that we burnt down yeah. last fall." So uh, right. whether whether we're maintaining them or we've burned them down, it's one of those things where, uh, and it's just it's just for me. I don't know what what it's like in your household, but. It's, uh, I can understand where my wife is coming from, right? I have three kids. They're crazy. They're absolute maniacs and they can be a handful if not properly medicated. And that's a joke, obviously, but, um, they like, they can be overwhelming at times. And so I'm going on an elk hunt. I'm going on this mule deer hunt. I got like two, whatever, you know, however long it takes to kill a deer here in Iowa, and uh by that when it's all said and done my wife is gonna be done like she'll be 
as extremely worn out as I can allow. And, uh, but she knows that, right? I mean, it's just something that will happen the entire, you know, the entire relationship. And, uh, uh, I try to treat her right before the season starts, you know, and during the off season and whatnot. And then she, she understands she doesn't suffer in silence, but she understands that this is my passion and, and she lets me go out and do these crazy things. So what did, did, did you have to have a talk with your wife before you started dating her and married her and said, listen, when it's the fall, I'm a hunter. You know, my wife and I relationship was anything but normal from day one. Uh, we grew up in neighboring towns, but she had moved out of state to go to college. And I had met her when she was, basically on a break from school. She had come home to see her family. We met through a group of friends and we both really liked each other. And she's like, well, this is cool, but I'm going back to school and basically I'll see you later. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm not going to let this one get away. I mean, I, I, I kind of had a gut feeling that, you know, that I, uh, even after a couple dates that I, I loved my wife and that I wanted to be with her. So, the first move out of my parents' basement was 1,600 miles away down to Miami to get a one-bedroom apartment to live with my wife while she went to school. And then she changed schools up to uh, Illinois. So we moved to the suburbs of Chicago, lived there. I, I kind of followed her around and did what I needed to do. Um, and I kind of proved my worth to her in the beginning of our relationship. And I think that's carried a lot of weight for me over the years. Uh, my wife can reflect back on that and know that anything that she needs from me, basically at the drop of a dime, she's got it. And if mama needs to go get her hair colored or cut, and she says, I got a hair appointment at eight o'clock on Saturday, that basically means at eight o'clock on Saturday, whatever I had planned gets put on the back burner, unless, it's between the months of October and January right. and it's hunting season. And, and my wife is super cool about that. She recognizes that the rest of the year, whatever it is at the drop of a dime that they are my first priority. And it's not that they're my second priority during hunting season, but she knows that I operate in that fashion so that yeah. when the fall comes around, there's no if ands or buts or maybe, I handle my business in my household as well so that when that time of year comes around, I'm basically guilt-free. And I, I love, I'm fortunate that I, you know, um, and I'm sure a lot of listeners can, you know, agree with this. I, you know, I was fortunate to marry my best friend. So, you know, the fall wears on me too. Uh, I go on hunts and I'm away for long weekends or, you know, sometimes 10 days at a time. And, I'm excited to sometimes, you know, it's, uh, I miss them more than I feel like they miss me, if that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, when I get home, I'm, I'm ready to be back around them and see them. And I actually feel like in our, you know, in our relationship is healthy for both of us the fall because, uh, you know, time apart sometimes is good for each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I actually just had a conversation with a guy about that earlier today uh, and he he was basically saying that uh, he all his kids are out out of the house now. He's in um, 
they're graduated or they're in college or graduated college and so they're gone uh, and he's just like you know what come hunting season these days my wife doesn't mind it that i'm out of the household for you know right uh, big chunks of time and i think i think there's a, a part there right where you're like man you know, I love my family, but it's good to get away from them sometimes. And I think that goes for my wife too. Like, uh, you know, I'll, uh, she, she goes out and she meets her girlfriends and does stuff. Right. And I'll take care of the kids. Cause I know that I know October or well, September now, September, October, November, they're in that, in that three month period, there's going to be four weeks, maybe five weeks where I'm MIA and uh, she's got to she's got to do it all. But at the same time, I don't know about you. Do you bring in like uh, a grandparent or a uh, aunt and uncle or get a babysitter or something like that while she can still maintain somewhat of a routine while you're gone? Yeah, I- I'm super fortunate to have like a stellar supporting cast. So my mother-in-law helps a lot. Yeah. And my my parents my mom was a teacher her whole life she's retired now so she's just used to like day in day out being surrounded by children and now that she's retired and that's not the normal for her she is any opportunity i mean she will cancel plans if there is an opportunity for her to be with her grandchildren yes so it is a absolute blessing for us. And I'm also fortunate in this manner is that my family has a small farm that I do a fair amount of hunting on. And there's a large section of public land, a big swamp and marsh that is adjacent to them where I do a lot of hunting and my parents live there. So I can literally put my kid in the car seat, get in the truck, drive to the farm, walk inside, say, here, mom, I'll be back in an hour after dark. And my son gets to go over to grandma and grandpa's house, play, have fun. Uh, I get to go out hunting. I come in from hunting, load them back up and we go home. My wife gets to have a little break. I mean, it's just, it's a real ideal scenario. Now my my grandparents actually own that farm and they're getting later in their life. Um, When they're passed on, that farm will probably not be in my regiment anymore so I'm, I'm real conscious that my time with that scenario is is limited but uh right now through you know my son's only four so through the first four years of of having a child i've i've really been spoiled in in that regard yeah yeah i would love someday man right i mean isn't that a dream to have a house where you live on the farm that you hunt like that's like that is an ideal dream for me to where you're coming home every night or you're you're only home and you know like 20 minutes you're just driving the four-wheeler or you're walking back to the house uh, and hanging up there and then heck you're back in time to eat supper with them every night or even get them on you know get back in time off a morning hunt to um, help the wife go do groceries or whatever. That would be an awesome scenario, but man, it's just, that's uh that's a pipe dream at this point. Yeah. I, I have a few friends that have similar situations to that and it is really nice, but I will say I have seen them fall into trends where, you know, once you're, you own that property and it, it's so convenient for you to just get home and, 
go out there, they, they kind of get emotionally married to that piece of property. Right. And I've just, the only negative that I've seen come out of it is that, you know, if they're trying to, if they have aspirations for a certain class of deer and that class of deer is really not on that property, I'll see them fall into a rut where they go out there and then they're coming back in. Oh, you know, I'm not seeing any deer. The neighbors are doing this or, oh, or doing yeah. that. And oftentimes it's like, well, you, you might have to make a move or go somewhere different. And it's, and I completely understand it from their point of view. Like, well, I own this, this is mine. This is where I do my hunting now. But sometimes you got to bring the fight to whitetails, you know? Yeah, that's a fact. I mean, the other cool thing about being able to someday own your own property and, and live on that property that you hunt is, you know, let's say you get a ground blind or you have like it's an early season hunt man i could take one of my kids with me and that way you know it's one less kid at home that needs to be taken care of so i don't know uh one of these days it's gonna happen and uh, i'm gonna let the world know when it does so <laughs> there yeah there's no doubt about that it, it, having access to a nice piece of private land really makes really makes for a nice experience for, you know, bringing youth hunters up to have a blind to keep, keep them comfortable. And, uh, it's a, it's a lot easier than if you're going out, you know, combat hunting on public land. That's for certain. Yeah. I like that term combat hunting. <laughs> um, that's what we do here in Michigan. I believe it, man. I believe it. All right. So let me ask you this. All right. Is Michigan as bad at hunting in Michigan on public ground, is it as bad as everybody says it is? I mean, and no. when I, when I, when I say bad, I mean, every time I talk to someone from Michigan or Pennsylvania, they're like, Oh man, I, I, I hunt on public ground. I shouldn't say every time. Cause I'm, I've met a lot of people who are, have different viewpoints about that stuff. But a majority of the people I talk to from Michigan and Pennsylvania who hunt public land, say that's exactly what it is it's combat hunting right it's high pressure lots of people and you know small bucks yeah i strongly disagree and i'll say this in my experience with the people that i know directly and that's all that i can really talk to is what i know right. and the people that i know and, and have direct contact with the guys that complain about hunting on public land in Michigan are the same guys that complain about their job. They complain about their wife. They complain about who's running the country. You can take action and find workarounds to get away from pressure and find very enjoyable places to hunt. But sometimes it's just easier to take the path of least resistance and then complain about it, if that makes sense. <laughs> that does. That's funny. Yeah, uh, I know some guys like that. Oh, man, I ain't seeing nothing. I ain't seeing nothing. Uh, well, why don't you move the tree stand that you've been sitting in for the last 20 years? Move it somewhere else, yeah. you know? So, um, so what's the, I mean, how many years have you been a bow hunter in Michigan? 22. 22 years, okay. So in that yep. 22 years... I know this is a this is a very this is a high level question. It's a big question that that could be broken down into almost like I mean into po a podcast series. But where have you found success throughout the years being a bow hunter in Michigan? And I don't mean specifically like a location, but 
where where do you think that success comes from? Uh, it's uh, I guess it it comes from consciousness, really, uh, and that might sound like a weird answer, but being conscious of why and when you went out when you didn't see anything and you 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 didn't meet your goals and looking hard as to like why didn't the season work out what did I do different what opportunities did I miss and then taking action to not repeat those mistakes and evolving you know I made it a conscious effort years ago to start obtaining as much information about deer hunting as I possibly could right and with with the access to information now for hunters there's never in history has there been a better time that if you didn't know anything and you were just starting from scratch and you decided, Hey, I want to get into deer hunting podcasts, uh, YouTube videos, uh, reading for, I mean, Oh my gosh, the hunting beast forum, right? Like within a season, you could learn more than probably some guys would, would, would learn in a lifetime if you put the effort into it. So I, I found success just by, not being blockheaded, being open-minded and just taking in as much information as I can. And then also like not hardlining on it. Like nothing is set in stone, especially whitetails are so like different regionally. What, what one guy tells you works in one County might be different in another County. Now you can take his advice and listen to everything that he says. And even though he's a highly decorated, highly successful deer hunter, there might not not be a direct application for that. You may need to manipulate that information a little bit based on what you're seeing, but you just have to be conscious of all of that. And if you're, if you're putting those steps in, if you're, if you're going out and saying, I'm, I'm not going to repeat mistakes. I had a good friend, years ago, I, I made a big mistake, just a personal mistake in my life. And I was pretty tore up about it. And, and he came up to me and he said, Hey, you know, I understand you're upset. That's okay. You made a big mistake. Don't make it again. And that, Oh, well, Oh, I will never forget that. And it just applies day in and day out for my work, my deer hunting and everything. If I make a mistake once I'm going to learn from it. Shame on me if I remake it. And uh, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, I've, you know, I've had opportunities to pass more deer than I ever did, you know, in my, in my younger years, I can be more selective, obviously with a young family and a career, my time is a little more limited, uh, a product of my success in the past was just being stubborn and spending days and hours on end out in the woods, which was fine by me. But when there's other people that are, you know, relying on you, that doesn't go over so well. So I, I would say that's how I, and that just kind of is a, a broad statement, but it, it covers every aspect of, like you said, we could break this down into an entire podcast. If you approach, or for me personally, with that approach, put on to everything, uh, it, it carries down to tuning your bow, your arrows, selecting your broadheads, your tree stand, your equipment, your gear. It all umbrellas under that. And I've just, in the last couple of years, one, I've enjoyed my time out in the woods more than ever. And two, uh, I, I don't have an empty freezer. And those are the two most important things for me. 
you know, going into the deer season that I want is benefit my mental health and benefit my physical health. And, uh, I like filling the freezer up and I like chasing big bucks just as much as anybody. And I'm hopeful to put the biggest one on the wall this year that I, that I ever have. And that's the goal every season. But, you know, sometimes I realize where I am and you have to be conscious of what you have in front of you. And, uh, like I say, be grateful for opportunity, no matter the size, you know? Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I really like that answer. Cause I have a similar answer uh, when, whenever someone asks me about, you know, not necessarily about my past success, but what they're like, what do I need to do? And I think consciousness and being observant are kind of two of the same, right? You have to be aware of all these different things that are happening. You can't just go into the woods and wait for a deer. And if he doesn't show up, walk out of the woods and be mad you have to take something away from every one of those hunts and i like that answer because it is it's active it's like active learning throughout the entire process and um we i can remember in our high school we had this motto it was called lifelong learning so basically they're trying to set us up so that we're always learning uh through every day in our life and i think that like when when you approach deer hunting that it's almost like an awakening if you can take something away the next thing you know you're just like a supercomputer and you're just soaking in all this information whether it's from how does the wind you know how does the wind act on this uh, specific terrain okay well how does the you know what's the deer movement like on this terrain or uh, what about this access route and this access route and you just it's you're always calculating and i think once you do that as a deer hunter man, the doors just open wide up and you're able to make better decisions. Yeah, there's, there's no arguing that. Um, and it, you know, that you can apply that outside of a deer hunting, just life in general, oh, your yeah. work and all that as well. But you know, the, I guess the counterpart of your, 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 the primary question, you know, is does deer hunting public land here in Michigan suck? There's definitely some places and some pieces that I've visited where it's like there is there's no reason that I'm gonna invest my time here. This piece of property is definitely overrun and there's nothing more damaging to your success deer hunting than being surrounded by hunting pressure and other people. But we're fortunate here in Michigan that we have I believe we have more public land than any other state east of the Mississippi, uh, something along the lines of 7 million acres. Yeah. So if you're willing to work for it, um, and, and I've seen it direct results over the course of the last couple of years, and not just with myself, but you know, other guys here in Michigan that have platforms that are real serious about deer hunting and put out content, um, they're, they're becoming successful. And, Michigan has always been a baiting state. Uh, this will be the, this, this year coming, this 2019 deer season, it is illegal to bait here in Michigan because of chronic wasting. Uh, it's a regulation that the state put into effect over the course of the summer. There's no minerals. You have to have the, I believe it's the ATA certified. If you're using any of the, the scents or whatever, a lot of people have moved to synthetics. 
and no minerals and no baiting. Well, that baiting thing has been in place since, I don't know, you know, the, the dawn of time for deer hunting here in Michigan. And I, I really do feel, and, and I've baited on and off throughout my entire deer hunting career. I have no gripes about anybody that wants to do it. I don't care what anybody else does while they're out in the deer woods, as long as it doesn't have a negative effect on, on me. But I think it's made for a bit of a poor hunting culture where we kind of had this easy button push, you know, guys would just have bait piles and they would hunt them. Well, now I think guys are really seeing that if you want to have success, especially on older class of deer, that is the absolute worst way to go about it because you are literally just throwing up a big sign and saying, here I am, here's where I hunt, be conscious of this area, don't come around here in daylight because somebody's hunting here. And I think it's probably going to do the state and the deer hunting culture here a favor moving forward that if we potentially uphold that law and regulation and don't carry forward with baiting. Yeah. So let me ask you, as a as a Michigan native, I'm I'm sure you've heard the the people who are probating from this from this standpoint. It's been a law for so long that people and you know, like we have the older age class of hunters. You know, let's say someone who's in there from 45 and older, right? Um, once the quote unquote baby booner baby booners baby booners, baby boomers, or and the generation, you know, that, that more traditional generation uh, is gone, there's going to be even a sharper decline in hunting numbers. Do you, do you think that this will just increase so people aren't even going to go hunting at all because you can't bait anymore? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think it's the same thing as what I previously said, the people that are complaining are the people that are going to complain about what's on TV versus changing the channel. It's, I I really can't see it having a negative impact. And it's one of those things just like, you know, for forever, right. You could smoke in bars. And when, when they, I don't know when it was in Iowa that they, with a law that you couldn't smoke it. I'm assuming that law is in place now, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's been a it's been a long time. You know how big of an uproar were the people that spent all the time in the bars smoking? They were furious, right? It was the end of the world. Yeah. Two years later, no one ever even remembers that portion of time <laughs> before. I I really think it's going to be one of those things where people are just going to for, forget about it. And it's been a weird thing to watch because. You know, everybody's putting content out nowadays with their cell phones and on Instagram and Facebook. And I literally watch people post trail camera photos of them illegally baiting and putting mineral sites up. And it's like, hey, all right, I guess we're I guess we're doing this. And I, I know firsthand, you know, COs and they, they they use Facebook and they use Instagram um, to bust people. So, you know, I think it will be a couple year learning process for people. But man, I, I think just as a whole, collectively, it's probably going to work out better. And I'll say this, the one of the biggest complaints and gripes that everybody has about Michigan is the age structure of deer, right? We want more mature deer. Everybody wants to have older deer, bigger antlers. No one is going to disagree with that. Yeah. 
you'll definitely get the other side of that. Hey, I'm just out here for meat. Well, big deer, big meat, right? There's, it, it works together. So one of the biggest reasons why I think so many year and a half old bucks get killed is, is over bait piles. And I, I, I can say firsthand there is aside from a fawn, the, you know, the most neglectful deer in the woods come October and November is a year and a half old buck. I mean, they will literally walk up to a pile of corn and apples and look at you and go back to, to eating. You know, they're just, they're not educated and they're a little fearless in that regard. And therefore a lot of year and a half old bucks get shot over bait. And I think if we eliminate that, I think it's going to do the whole state a favor, which there's a big group of people fighting hard for antler point restrictions they want to put laws in place um i I think it's going to do everybody a favor and probably in a small percentage start to scale up and help us you know achieve that goal having a bit of a an older age structure too awesome yeah that's uh that's a, a good way to look at it too and just you know um just imagine if you get those antler point restrictions uh someday Right. It's just I feel like it just would compound because the people that I've talked to in Michigan, right, they have told me that the deer numbers from the from the way it sounds, deer numbers are not an issue. It's the small bucks that are the issue. So you you take away baiting, less deer get shot. I'm guessing just, just an assumption, right? Less deer are gonna get shot because you can't bait and they make then some of those deer make it to the older age class. You throw in a antler point restriction on top of that. I feel like it's a matter of four years until that state starts seeing, you know, again, really uh, like really good uh, deer coming out of that state. They've done, you know, they've done it by county. Here there is uh, counties that have APRs and they've oh, had okay. mixed results with it. They've had mixed results with it. Um, I don't know what the numbers are. I mean, I, I've definitely heard to some degree that some some areas seem to see benefits pretty quickly. Some areas, it doesn't seem to have too big of an impact. Our biggest problem and challenge lies on getting people to fill antlerless tags. I, I just don't grasp it. Uh, for myself as a bow hunter, I just love shooting deer. Um, yes, it's nothing is more exciting than hunting down a mature buck and killing him, getting a giant set of antlers to put on the wall and look back on for the rest of your life. I mean, that that is, for some people, most people, the ultimate goal. But, man, it is so fun, and it is such good practice for that moment of truth to go out and shoot some does. And we have a serious problem with what the sex ratio is here in the state, we have so many antlerless tags available and people do not take advantage of it. And I'll literally see guys go out all season, not shoot a single deer, then complain that they didn't shoot a single deer because they didn't get the buck that they wanted, but have never shot a single doe tag. I I would have loved to seen something put into place, you know, and earn a buck where you have to fill a doe tag to get a buck tag something along those lines. Um, 
I, I don't know, some type of incentive program for people to go out and harvest antlerless deer. Uh, I know, you know, the last thing guys really want to do is go out and burn their good spots on, on, and, you know, if they have small acreage, go out there and disrupt the, you know, the flow of things by shooting antlerless deer. But we, we, from what I've seen, we have a serious problem with not filling enough antlerless tags. And at the end of the year, the state, the, the numbers say the same thing. You know, we always have just a, a surplus of antlerless deer and they've, they've added seasons and added length of seasons and added, you know, you can use crossbows and firearms during this and, and nothing seems to solve it. People just won't pull the trigger on deer here in the state that don't have antlers on their head. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That is nuts, man. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, what else you do. Let's say you have, you have, uh, the deer hunter podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what's that podcast all about? Well, it's a touch self-explanatory. It definitely revolves around deer hunting, but I will say that we float around a little bit. It, it kind of started as anything does. It, it started with a, an idea and then it evolved a little bit. But what I, what I essentially wanted to do when I created it was my favorite week of the entire year. The thing I look forward to the most is our Northern Michigan deer camp. Um, you know, I know your good buddy, Mark Kenyon can attest to that. He, uh, he rants and raves about it all the time. Anybody that's grown up in a Northern Michigan deer camp, it's just this super special thing. And the social camaraderie that comes with that, a group of guys cutting loose for the week, sharing deer hunting stories, hey, what'd you see, this and that, you, it's, it's really hard to match. So I was hopeful yeah. that I would be able to recreate a bit of that in audio form and then share it through a podcast. And we've done that. We've, um, you know, we've, we've done that as well as have people on that, you know, are highly decorated and have wealth of knowledge to, to share as far as like science-based, you know, the, we involve, I like to involve the state and the biologists and have those guys on to share information. So kind of the hashtag for it when I launched it was uh, entertain, educate and evolve. And the entertainment factor coming from the just sitting around with a group of buddies drinking beers, you know, basically talking crap to one another. Um, the educate coming in the form of having, you know, science-based and number-based guys on that can share facts. And the evolve thing is, the, you know, trying to just do our part in, cutting back on the amount of arguing that hunters do on social media and just saying, Hey, it's okay. If this guy chooses to do it this manner, we all really need to be conscious that at this point in time, we really need to work together to protect this thing going forward. There's definitely a number of things working against us. We don't need to add to that. We definitely as a group need to be putting our best foot forward at this point in time. And, and, you know, sometimes we deliver our message maybe in a, an unorthodox manner. We certainly have received our fair share of emails about language used and things of that nature. But as I said, the, the, the beginning part of it was to 
uh, recreate a deer camp experience. So yes, there may be uh, a bit of foul language involved. And I always tell people, if your kids are finding our podcast and listening to it, our language is the least of your problems. If your kid's Googling (laughs) us and finding us on a smartphone, we're the least of your problems. You know what I mean? You should be happy that that's what's in their browser history. So, so that's kind of what it is. And it evolved into just, you know, being more passionate, trying to put better content out. You know, it's always a struggle for me working full time and the balancing act of life. Uh, I'm a little late this week on this week's episode, uh, received a couple messages today. Hey, no episode this week. I very rarely ever miss, you know, I, I try to put one out a week. Uh, I very rarely miss that deadline, but, but sometimes I just have to face reality and chop the piece of wood that's in front of me. And, you know, when that one comes around, get to it. But, uh, it's, it's certainly, you know, something that I'll never not be involved with, uh, as I'm sure you can attest to, you become part of a community, you build contacts and friendships, uh, you find friends that you would have never found otherwise and relationships through life. And I, I couldn't imagine at this point going forward, not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. So you got the podcast. That's a little bit what it's about now. Let's talk about this film that you've put out called The Forest. Why don't you just kind of walk us through, first off, why did you, like, why did you want to make a film about deer hunting? Well, you know, the Michigan deer hunting thing's got a bad rap. Uh, you know, you, a couple questions, obviously. I mean, you you don't live here. You know a lot about it because you're, work with Mark and he's based here out of Michigan and I'm sure you know you're you're filled in on most of the details we get a lot of stuff gets a bad rap nowadays as far as the state what the state has to provide for deer hunting and that was never my mindset about it and never how I looked at it it was always just this most wonderful thing that I had the opportunity to go do every year and uh I thought man I haven't seen out of all the deer hunting stuff that I've ever seen. I've watched now every, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that I haven't seen, but the majority of it I have, right. All the deer hunting television shows, the DVDs, the films, the, the the web shows. And I, I never saw anything that came even remotely close to depicting of how myself and everyone that I have personal experience with, which is thousands, hundreds and thousands of deer hunters here in Michigan, I never saw anything that kind of showcased how we hunt here and what, I guess, what the foundation of why we love deer hunting here in Michigan. And no one can argue that Michigan deer hunters love to deer hunt. I mean, I think uh, per square mile, we have more deer hunters than any other state in the country. Uh, I don't know what the license sales were. I know they've been on a bit of a decline, but there is a ton of people here in the state of Michigan that love hunting. And I thought, man, maybe we could, uh, maybe we could create that. And, and I can tell you, honestly, now and having gone through it, 
I had no idea, no idea what I was getting myself into and what it was going to take to actually make this happen. Um, I initially made a phone call to a uh, creator and a producer uh, by the name of Jordan Susowitz. Here, he's a Northern Michigan native, and I, uh, I made contacts with him actually through uh, Chad Sylvester at Exodus Trail Cameras. They had done a filming school together and Chad had kind of tipped me off as to who he was, and we made a bit of a relationship, and I, I called him one day, and I said, hey, I kind of had an idea of making a film about, you know, deer hunting in northern Michigan. Would you ever have interest in being involved with that project? And he's like, I have had similar aspirations for a while. Let's have a conversation and write some stuff down on paper and see what this would look like. Well, Within a pretty short period of time, we both knew that we were we were really liking the idea of this. We kind of started brainstorming on it, and you know, pretty quickly we both committed to one another and saying, "Okay, we're going to make this happen." Now, he had a lot of experience filming and deer hunting with cameras and hunting with cameras. I had zero and I, I almost think to this day that he was like, this is the perfect guy to sign up for this project because he has no idea what he's in for <laughs> uh, and what's going to be involved, the amount of work that's going to be involved to do this. And um, Jordan was at a point in his career where he was, he was quickly making a name for himself in the outdoor filming industry coming up under the guys that uh that he had come up with uh i nick and tom i struggle to remember their last names right now but i i believe you probably know the gentleman that i'm talking about they do the film the hunt school the become one television show and he was becoming one of their top guys and and he really wanted a production piece to be able to put out to people to showcase his ability and his work. So the timing lined up real good for us. And, and all the content that I've ever put out to this point was audio content. You know, yeah. I have no talent with a video camera or letting people see who I am or how I hunt. So it was an opportunity for me to get this piece of content, an opportunity for him. We got some sponsors involved, some people backing us. They said, yes, we will support you. Let's make this happen. And before you knew it, man, we were making a plan, committed and, and off and running. And we had an outline kind of drawn up for our 2018 gear season. That's awesome. So uh, you, you decided to throw this or to start the process of, of making this film. When you originally said, uh, I want to make a deer hunting film, did you automatically know what it was going to be about? I mean, did you know that, Hey, all the, all the deer hunting films and all the, the video that I see is of stuff that I cannot relate to. Did, so did you know instantly that you wanted to make this film about more relatable content? Yeah. We're from our first conversations. We knew that we weren't going to manipulate anything in any way, shape or form. We weren't going to attempt to create a story. 
we were only going to attempt to capture and share a story that already existed. And we knew we were going to do what we did year in and year out. We knew we were going to go up to Northern Michigan. The whole film was shot on public land. We knew we were going to be mobile, hiking around, camping, trying to get on top of deer, trying to fill tags. And we knew we wanted to involve a bit of the, you know, the balancing act of what it takes for, um, a lot of times when I see hunting films, one of the parts that is unrelatable to me is the foundation of it doesn't show the foundation of the reality of what I would say 99% of people that love to hunt do. And that's balance the work and the family. Right. Um, everybody's not always going out on, on right. trophy, trophy hunts, you know, some, you, you, you have what you have at your disposal and you take advantage of it. And so, we also knew that we wanted to capture and share the tradition of like a Northern Michigan deer hunt. So it wasn't like we sat down and wrote out some storyline to create some, some unique story that hadn't been said or done before. It was just that we haven't seen a film capturing the reality of what we've been doing our entire life. Let's just film that and share it and see how it's, received and then when you what what i didn't know is what artists these guys are that are high level producers and videographers when those guys go into the woods with the camera they mean business man they take things seriously the high level guys and uh i was just floored when he started putting this thing together and showing me um you know, what, how his thought process was working in his head. I mean, I can tell you, man, through the whole thing, I was like, Hey, do you need this? Hey, do you need this? He's like, nope, nope, nope. We need this. And they need that. And I really did. I couldn't see his vision, you know, but he would just follow me around and he would never really never ask me to do anything. Um, but I was always up front with him and just said, Hey, if you, if you need me to do anything, I'm your guy. You just tell me, you know what I mean? And, uh, I was very conscious that he was working really hard. I was, there were some mornings where we got up and just some of the stuff we had to go through and had been through. I was amazed that he was able to keep his morale and motivation to get up with me on these mornings and go sit out in the woods and the terrible weather and both of us being sick and having families at home that are needing us to be back. And, uh, I was just conscious that I was going to put in every ounce of effort that he was. And fortunate for us, our, our work ethics align very well, as well as anybody that's ever spent time in the woods with another person. You can get burnt out on each other real quick. And if things go negative, it can get bad real fast. We didn't have to deal with any of that. We're, we built a bond real quickly, figured out on the run how to make this happen. Like I said, I'd, no experience being involved with a camera, A, B, with a camera or filming in the woods, what that would take. I knew how to hunt deer in northern Michigan. I did not know how to hunt deer with a camera. I had to relearn. I literally had to relearn throughout the course of the season uh, how how to make this happen. And uh, I feel like the final result of the product, we're, we're very fortunate that the way – 
things unfolded, the way the season went, um, the way that he put the story together. Uh, very pleased with the way that the thing came out. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of weird. Uh, I shouldn't say weird. It was unique how um, I, I started watching the film and I thought it was going to actually be a movie the way that the camera work was done at on the opening scene you know you back in the truck into the garage and whatnot and and looking into the the freezer and i thought that that all laid out like a actual movie so i was like man what is this is this going to be an, a movie like an independent film that this guy made because i i didn't read anything about it until i actually watched it and then it got into the you know like the more documentary style and um I will say that it turned out really good, man. I mean, the, the footage, uh, the footage turned out excellent. The story was there and, uh, um, yeah, it, it turned out, turned out really good, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Nick Petrie and Tom Ventura are the names of the gentlemen that run the film, the hunt school. And I'll say for any young guy that aspires to, create deer hunting content or hunting content or actually any filming content for for that man those guys are impressive the amount of knowledge that they have and they put a school on that's willing to teach people and share that from you know running the cameras capturing everything putting your storylines together what's important what's not important uh the audio aspect of it is something that watching a film watching a movie, watching something on TV, I was never even conscious of that. And that is like the foundation for any video or any movie is the audio track. And that was just something that I never, I never knew. And, and those guys did an amazing job of sharing their information. And, and Jordan, like I said, he, you know, he's worked with, um, Jason Metzinger, I know they do work for their uh, into the high country television show. I mean, he is a legitimate professional. He's put a lot of content out on the Sportsman's Channel. I, I was so fortunate to have the opportunity to work with him, and uh, just the way the the stars aligned. But I, I appreciate you saying that because yeah, we. I mean, we like I said, we had an idea that we wanted to capture this, but. We, I at least didn't have any idea what it was going to look like when it was put together. And when I had originally called him and said, Hey, let's make a deer hunting film. I didn't know he was going to take it that seriously. Like I said, I, I feel like he kind of thought, Oh, this is, this is the perfect candidate to sign up for this project. Cause this guy's got no clue what <laughs> I'm going to put him through for us to be able to get this done. And, uh, that guy is a hustler and a worker and there's a reason why he's a pro and he's successful. And, and that is what he does. That, that is how he makes his living. That is how, you know, he supports his family is, is through that. So, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to call him a friend and, uh, you know, a, a coworker in this project. And, uh, I have a new respect and appreciation just for art in general after being, spending a uh, season in the woods with a guy like that that's awesome man so what was like what was one of the biggest hurdles or did, did you have a, a moment in the woods where like a camera dropped or something crazy happened and, and it just made you have to like restructure the entire day or restructure your trip or or you forgot a piece of uh, camera equipment or anything like that throughout this process 
yeah, there was so, there's so much of that. It's hard to even think about, um, <laughs> which one in particular is a good one to share. I mean, first of all, we, we both through the season had to deal with some health issues. Um, just a product of one, you know, lack of sleep, getting after it hard. Uh, we had some health issues that we had to combat that, that wasn't easy at all. I'd say the, one of the biggest hurdles that I had to climb is like I said, I, I knew how to hunt deer. I knew, I know how to find deer in Northern Michigan. Typically if I'm going to go up North on a, on a weekend, on a long weekend, I, I can get a deer killed. Well, those areas are usually very, very tight uh, areas with lots of vegetation, which is the lowest quality areas for any guy that's trying to run a camera and capture deer on film. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of the shows and everything revolve around uh, agriculture, open fields. It's, it makes it, it, it gives you the ability to capture content when you have just a deer walking through a three foot wide shooting lane and that's the only deer you see all day and it's 10 degrees below zero. So the camera's off. So the batteries aren't dead. It makes it, it made for an unbelievable challenge. And, uh, we had some, I had some hard learning lessons and, and it got, you know, it was starting to get into the season. You know, when we kicked it off, I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. Like I, I can typically get two or three deer killed a year. We're going to get all this on film. It's going to be sweet. And then like halfway through the deer season, I'm like, I'm getting nervous, right? I'm like, dude, this is way more difficult than what I would have ever anticipated. And people knew that we were doing this project. And like I said, we had gotten, we had gotten support, uh, in, in the form of, you know, finances and everything else. And, and I'm starting to sweat bullets. It was like, Oh my God, what if we, what if, what if I can't do this? What if we can't do this? What if I don't get this done? And, uh, I took a lot of time, which I could have been putting towards my career away from my family to make this happen. And I was kind of second guessing my priorities as a man is like, I'm out here monkeying around trying to do this my family's at home they need me there's other things I could be doing but I said I was going to do this and we're going to get this done so whatever it takes and it was just like all right this didn't work like we've already been through this and and we're fortunate here in Michigan to have a pretty long deer season you know uh, and it was learning on the fly right not repeating mistakes and getting on the same page and you know, the mental checklist that you go through as a deer hunter, right? Like, here's a deer. I got to do this in order to get an arrow in him. You kind of go in autopilot after you've been doing it for so many years. Well, when your autopilot doesn't include a cameraman or any of the things that he has to do, bad news when your autopilot goes on. And then he's like, yeah, dude, I didn't even have the camera on. Didn't you hear me say, don't, don't shoot like three times. Yep. no, I was blacked out. <laughs> yeah, dude, I have, I've had, I've been, when I used to film all my hunts, uh, I can remember big buck, you know, I, I, I pretty much told the guy, I said, I'm going to say shooter and that's all you get. 
(laughs) because (laughs) right yeah i really don't care like if it's a big buck man like i'm not getting paid enough money from that from this that i'm gonna pass up a big deer just so i can get it on camera um and you know i didn't have enough skin in the game for like a television show where you know the the kill has to be on camera or whatever but you know the story and and that's why when i was making when i was helping um my buddy curtis uh i kind of was in the the same scenario as you i brought for this turkey hunting film i kind of had an idea i brought in curtis he uh uh, he filmed, he, he filmed me, he did the editing, he put the, the idea that I had down basically on paper or, you know, on film and it turned out excellent, but I wanted to be able to tell the story to where I didn't necessarily need a kill to tell the story, right? I, I wanted the story to be whatever it is we were trying to accomplish, right? And, and I think that's what makes really good television, or, or or video and not necessarily like here we are at this outfitter i'm gonna shoot a deer today and then we're gonna leave type of yeah like i can't There's, number one i can't relate to that number two it's not interesting yeah you know a big part of hunting and i feel like whitetail hunters are as guilty of it as anybody uh is forgetting about that hunting is about having an adventure you're, right. you're seeking you're seeking out an adventure and you know i know a lot of guys go west it's real appealing i I know yourself you're you're going elk hunting i mean i've spent some time out west it is amazing but on a smaller scale you can you can whitetail hunt in that fashion i mean there's there's places where you can throw a backpack on with a tent and a camp stove and you can go park your truck at a trailhead on friday and not come back in till sunday and I started doing that years ago, and I started realizing, wow, man, I've been missing the opportunity. Maybe the opportunity isn't in Michigan that every year you're going to kill a 150-inch deer. It's probably not a reality unless you have a certain set of circumstances that you're working with. Right. But there certainly is the opportunity to go see some beautiful countryside, to disconnect from the modern pace and social standards of life, go out and breathe some fresh air, set a tent up, have a, you know, have a little campfire, cook a, cook a meal over a campfire and just kind of reconnect with the pace of the natural world. And I'll tell you what, man, it is, it is so critical now for me to be in good mental health that I get that time in the fall and the ability to do that. I do it as well in the spring for my scouting, throw a pack on, throw some food and water in there, you know, the downside of you know you're not out west is you, you maybe don't have the expanse of landscape and you're a little bit limited as to where and how far you can go. But the upside of that is you can take luxury items in that backpack in the form of a fifth of whiskey, uh, hamburger, like hamburger buns. I mean, yep. we we're eating like four course meals out <laughs> there and 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 drinking whiskey and sharing stories and listening to music on our iPhone iPhones around a campfire. I mean, you can create your own adventure. And, and I got, I got a lot out of that and I wanted to share that with people and say, man, there's sometimes you got to look at the, look at something a little bit different, but there's, there's opportunities in front of you. You just got to be willing to, to take them and capturing a bit of that and sharing that with people was important. 
to me as well. But I feel like a lot of times now there's not a lot of adventure in the whitetail community because the, the, the end goal is to, and, and, you know, anybody that creates content knows this. I mean, antlers are king. No antlers, no paychecks. <laughs> you got to get that. But uh, it can shortchange the whole experience, I feel like, a little bit. And I feel like we need to maybe do a little better job going forward of sharing that with generations to come to say, get out there, build your own adventure, and just get after it, you know? Right. Yeah. Amen. All right, so we're winding down here. If uh, people want to go watch this film, how do they do that? So they would go to deerhunterpodcast.com, and you you really can't miss it. Uh, you can find us through any of our social media platforms, but you would get to our website, deerhunterpodcast.com. I am extremely fortunate over the course of the last couple of years to have built an outstanding relationship with Jared Scheffler, uh, Whitetail Adrenaline. I'll say that he is one of the best human beings, bar none, on the entire planet. He is an outstanding person, and he was kind enough at the tail end of this project when we had it completed. We were trying to figure out what to do with it. I really, really wanted it to end up in a lot of hunting camps and deer camps for years to come. I know a lot of those camps, you know, the ones that I deal with directly are remote. You're, you don't have cell phone access. You don't have, um, you know, Wi-Fi. You can't stream. You can't download. But everybody's old microwaves and DVD players and appliances always end up at their cabins and cottages. So I thought, and, and Jared said the same thing. He said, I, I, I think you have a good enough. I think you have a good enough final product here that we can justify making a DVD with this. And uh, he said, I will, I will help you guys. I, I want in on this. I've aspired to do a project like this for years, but just the nature of what I create it hasn't allowed me the time to do so. I would be willing to help you guys make this disc. So, so Jared stepped up in a big way. Uh, his name's on it. Uh, there's a special thank you to him right on the back of the disc that says this disc wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for Jared Scheffler and Whitetail Adrenaline. He helped us make a DVD. We got it all put together, and they're available via our website right now that anybody wants to share in the future. Um, i I'll just be completely honest with people. I am like I'm kind of to the point where I'm spent, and I have to reinvest some time into my family and my professional thing. When I get back around, I'm thinking maybe around the first of the year, I'll have time to start working on a digital platform where it'll be available digitally and for people to stream. But right now, if people want to see it, uh, they can go to deerhunterpodcast.com and they can purchase the disc. Perfect. Well, Kevin Vistason, man, I really appreciate you taking uh, time out of your day to hop on and BS with me for a while. Uh, congrats on the, uh, on the DVD in the forest and uh, hopefully uh, we get another project like this out of you. There will, there's going to, we have aspirations to do multiple more products and I, I kind of want to finish on this Dan and, and um, really say thank you to, to you. You know, a long time ago I started listening to your podcast and Mark Kenyon's podcast 
Mark was kind enough to spend time with me personally and sit down and help me get the ball rolling. But uh, seeing you guys create content and relatable content, stuff that I could really connect to, aspired me to start my podcast, which, you know, it rolled into this project. So, uh, you know, you had, whether you like it or not, you had part in this whole thing happening <laughs> uh, on some level. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I know we talked just a minute before the show. I know how much time and work you put in. So I just want to say, really, thank you for having me on today. And let me share this with your listeners. And thanks for everything that you, you do. It's been a motivating factor in my life, man. Awesome. Well, I guess that's one good thing I've done in my life then, buddy. <laughs> Put that on the good another, another tally on the good side. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, hey, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. You bet, Dan. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Go check out Kevin's latest film project, The Forest. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast Vortex Optics, Prime Bows, Ozonic Scent Elimination, Wasp Broadheads, Ripcord ARS, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. Man, um, if it wasn't for them, this would not be happening. Uh, so please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Thanks to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen. Thanks to my wife for putting up with my crazy-ass kids while I'm back here in this closet recording these podcasts. Uh, the Sportsman's Nation Galactic headquarters are almost complete, uh, and I say that with a grain of salt because uh, almost um, means I got like 40 more hours of work left to do on it, but either way, the Galactical headquarters will be open soon, and once that's open, man... Uh, the content's really going to be flooding out. Other than that, uh, please be safe on these hunts, right? Don't take these crazy risks. Don't, you know, be doing some dumb shit. Think about everything um, because returning home to your family is the most important thing uh, when you're going on some of these hunts, maybe where it's new to you. Um, you know, don't hunt without a safety harness, man. I, I say this, if you're in a tree stand, I say it every single episode, please do this. Um, other than that, good luck to everybody who's heading west or I, I've already seen eastern states open up with their velvet, their velvet seasons, man. Good luck. Be safe. And uh, once you kill that big one, man, hit me up and we'll talk about it. So this has been a Nine Finger Chronicles production. <laughs>